I'm going to read out of the book of Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13. And, you know, I, people have asked me, what's the church going to be over there? What's the next season? What are you guys going to provide over there that's not provided here? And one word I give to anybody that asks me that is atmosphere. What we have not done here, and it's just because we've always intentionally known we're moving, is we've never created a God atmosphere, a Holy Spirit atmosphere to our a best ability. I, I want to say that with great respect, but it's good. It's, we're very, very thankful. But what I'm referring to as an atmosphere of the next season, you're going to see that you're not seeing right here. And it's, not, and it's intentional because of our move, and we always knew we were moving, but you're going to have an atmosphere that is going to breed faith. It's going to, it's going to accelerate faith because you're going to be in a body of believers on a larger scale, but also just the atmosphere of what we're going to be providing, the sounds, the lighting, the, 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 the music, the abilities to produce productions and just things that you're, we're not able to do here on purpose because we always knew we were moving. And it's a dream come true that we are. In the book of Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13, it says, happy is the man or woman who finds wisdom and they gain this understanding. The proceeds of wisdom are better than profits of silver. The gain of wisdom is greater than fine gold. Wisdom is more precious than rubies, and all the things you may desire cannot compare with wisdom. Length of days is in her right hand, and in her left hand, riches and honor. Her ways, speaking about wisdom, are ways of pleasantness, and her paths are of peace. Wisdom is a tree of life to those that take hold of her, and happy are all who retain her. These are the seven pillars, because Proverbs 9 says, if you're going to build a house of wisdom, it has to have seven pillars, because seven is the number of perfection. And today we're going to look at four of those pillars today. Last week we talked about three of them, and today we're going to finish these pillars. Father, thank you today for your word. It's a lamp and it's a light, and we're trusting you to make a way where there seems to be no way. And so we can build our lives with the proper foundation and the proper pillars which we can have your divine wisdom. In Jesus' mighty name and all God's men and women said, amen. Now, before you sit down, say Thanksgiving, huh? And just go ahead and sit down. <laughs> Thanksgiving, huh? Okay. We have an opportunity this morning to have God's wisdom. Wisdom is not found just in maturity. People often say, well, when I get older, I'll get wiser. I've met some really dumb older people. Age does not produce wisdom. Education does not produce wisdom. Some people can be educated beyond their intellect. Some people have more degrees than a thermometer, but it does not make them wise. Wisdom is different from knowledge and facts. Knowledge and facts give you information, but wisdom from God is his gift that gives you the ability to provide in that situation, to have understanding in that situation. That's what wisdom does. Some things come because you get more mature and you, you don't touch the stove twice because you touched it once and it was hot because wisdom now tells you don't touch it again. But some people are not wise, so they keep touching the stove, they keep touching the stove, overwhelming themselves with one calamity after another. Solomon gives us this great opportunity how to build the house and to have the proper foundation because if you're going to build anything, you've got to have the blueprints to build it right. The house that wisdom built starts with the fear of the Lord. The Bible says, 
says it's the beginning of something called wisdom. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 16, it says, the fear of the Lord, when we come together, gets God's attention, and he writes it down in the book of remembrance. When God's people come together in this reverent awe of him, not in a catatonic state, kind of wringing their hands, fearing God, and, and saying, oh, I can't mess up, I can't blow it, I fear the Lord. That's not the type of wisdom we're talking about. We're talking about the fear of the Lord where you're in a reverent awe of his majesty. You're in an awe of his goodness. That means you fear the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom. You're trusting him. You're in awe of him. That's the beginning pillar to build the proper foundation of a thing called life. And the second column we talked about was the pillar of mercy. Mercy will be made manifest, and mercy means we're a benefit. When we're merciful people, we are beneficial. Beneficial to our family, beneficial to our spouses, beneficial to our workers, our people we work with. Beneficial people are merciful people. When you are beneficial, you are merciful. They go together like PB&J. Hey, they go together. Merciful people will manifest themselves. If you're going to build the house, you got to build it with the pillar called mercy. Then there's that third pillar. It's the pillar of trust. Every relationship is birthed with trust. Your relationship with God, it's held together by trust. Your relationship with other people, it's torn apart or is knitted together by a thing called trust. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5 through 7, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean into your own understanding, but build your life on the pillar and follow him, the foundational stone, precious and elect in Zion. Trust him in all the ways. That means trust him when your health goes south. Trust him when you don't have enough to make ends meet. Trust him when there's difficulty in the home, health, or emotions. Trust him to make a way where there seems to be no way. Fleece the Lord. Trust him. God is a God that cannot fail. He's not going to fail you this time, and all we have to do is trust him. Let's give the Lord a hand clap and not a golf clap if we really want to trust the Lord today. Yeah, that's better. I think there's something about this foundational issue of building your life with the proper foundation. You have to have trust. That's why the fourth pillar, it's how to manage possessions because it's really the issue of trust. How to manage your possessions. The pillar of the house that wisdom builds is the pillar of management, money management, resources, because the Bible says in Proverbs 3, 9, honor the Lord with all of your substance and the first fruits of all that your increase is. So shall your barns be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. That word honor in the, in the Hebrew is kabak. It means heavy. It's a, it really translates worship. When you honor God with your possessions, what you're really doing is worshiping the Lord. You're bringing that first fruit to the Lord. It's a form of worship. God says, nobody in Israel comes to me empty-handed. Bring something predicated upon your ability to provide. You'll bring a ram, a bull, a turtle dove. You'll bring something to the house of the Lord because it's a way of worship. That's to said today. That's when we bring our lives to the Lord. It's a word of honor. It's a word called worship. How many of you would like to prosper? Just so much prosperity, it starts running all over the floor. Your barn and your buildings are not big enough. You start looking for places to put your prosperity. How many of you would like to prosper like that? Let me see your hand. Oh, a few of you. Oh, God help the rest of you. Some of you would be in heaven a half hour before you start enjoying yourself. Help me out here. 
Solomon was not only the wisest man in the world, but how many of you know he was the richest man in the world? He was also wise, but he was wealthy. And he gives us the principle of how to live a life of worship. Honor me with the first fruits and all that you have. Say it another way, it's called tithing. People say, well, why should I tithe? Because the Bible that teaches salvation, the Bible that teaches uh, deliverance, the Bible that teaches the second coming of the Lord, the Bible that teaches the Trinity and the rapture of the church is all written by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says all scripture. Say all with me. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instructions in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So you have to realize from Genesis to Revelation, all that Bible was written by God himself through the power of the Holy Spirit. It comes from the same book, from the same source. Why would you believe in salvation? and not believe in tithing. So what is tithing? It's giving 10% of what you make. Now I know to a, a person that comes out of a world, that sounds peculiar, it sounds different. How do you give and receive by giving? In other words, how do you get blessed in that area by giving away? See, God's ways are not our ways. That's peculiar, isn't it? But when you study the word of God, there's a lot of things in the Bible that's peculiar. I read in Mark chapter 7 where Jesus literally spit on a man's tongue and he put his fingers in his ear. That sounds to me a little peculiar. Let me try that with you. I think you'll tell me to be Locked away somewhere. That's a little peculiar. How about taking spittle from your, from your hand to the dirt and taking that spit, mixing it up in the dirt and putting it on a guy's eye so he can hear, putting your finger in his ear and on his tongue so he can hear and he can begin to speak because he's never spoken a day in his life. That to me is a little peculiar. It's a little bit different. The Bible says Moses was different. He was peculiar. There's a prophet in the Old Testament that laid on his side for 30 days. I don't know about y'all, but that is a little bit strange to me. It's the same principle with honoring and worship the Lord in giving. It's strange when you give to God first fruits. It seems different. It seems like it, it's the oxymoron. How do I get back this when I'm giving out of my need? and I'm giving. That's what tithing is. It's a form of worship. It's a form of honor. Do you do that, Joey? Absolutely. And I can tell you, you'll never outgive God. Before I ever preached a message, before I ever pastored a church, I honor the Lord in this principle because I know God produces honor out of my life. That's what this is. It's about your life being foundationally strong and honoring the Lord. Why should I tithe? Because the word of God commands it. And Malachi chapter 3 verse 10 it says bring all the tithes into the storehouse why so there'll be food in my house how many of you know when you enjoy a great meal you ever been to Octavio's it's a great meal we've been blessed by Octavio's at the city center here in the ministry if you haven't been over to Octavio's you need to go over there and get a great meal but what's thing that's going to happen you're going to receive a fantastic meal there at Octavio's and then there's going to come a time when you're going to need to pay the bill and when you need to pay the bill at Octavio's, you don't get up from your seat after having an incredible meal and going to El Torito's and paying for it. El Torito's is not as good as Octavio's. Help me. There is something about 
feeding and eating where you've been fed and blessing where you've been fed. That means you don't go give Dr. Superduck something when the house of God needs it to be food in the house. God commands it. You say, why should I do that? Because Jesus tithed, and he is our example. I talked to a a guy years ago. I was trying to mentor him and get him. He wanted so bad to be in the ministry, and I was trying to mentor him. And this one issue, he just couldn't get over. It became a stronghold with him. And everything, when I would challenge him on this, he would start to debate me. And I finally said, son, I'm not debating the word of God. I declare it. You either do it or you don't. You can't be in ministry if you can't learn to honor God. Well, he didn't like that at all. He thought that I had, had, had said something that was ungodly. And I said, Jesus is our example, my friend. But what he didn't realize, because he had a stronghold that the tithe didn't belong to him, it belonged to God. And I told him, Jesus is our example. And he would say, oh, it's only in the New Testament, in the Old Testament. There's no tithing in the New Testament. And I said, man, know your Bible. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, this is Jesus speaking, our example. He said, woe to you, Pharisees and scribes. You teach tithing, which is good, but you forget the matters of mercy. See that foundational pillar we talked about last Sunday was this foundation of mercy. Jesus said, yeah, you need to worship me in the tithe. I do it. You need to do it. But don't forget the matters of mercy. Why do I need to do it? Because God controls everything. He controls your Lex breath. He controls your heartbeat. He controls everything about you. Men, he controls whether your mother-in-law is moving in or not. He can, don't make him mad. He controls it all. God controls everything. Why should I do it? Because it's a form of worship to show I'm not living in idolatry. The Bible says we cannot serve God and mammon. What happens is people start serving mammon in different ways and not putting God first. I want you to live in a financial blessing and not under an economic curse. And I have people often say, Joey, all curses are canceled at Calvary. I say, that's not simply true. That's good intent, but that's not what the Bible teaches. The curse of the law and the curse of sin was conquered at Calvary, but all other curses remain. Every generational curse can be nullified and canceled by any believer who chooses to live by by this word right here. When you live by this word, generational curses are broken, economic curses are broken, financial curses, disease curses, all these things get broken when you choose to live by this word. Malachi 3.9 says you're cursed with the curse. You say, well, that ended in the Old Testament. It certainly did not. Did grass and weeds end in the New Testament? Or do you still have to mow your lawn? Do you still have to pick weeds out of the ground? That is a curse because of Genesis curse. That curse still remains. So does these curses that are here on this earth, they remain until you start living by the word of the living God. That's why when you get to Revelation 22, it says there will be no more curse. He didn't say there's no more curse because of Jesus. He said in Revelation 22, when the end comes, now there'll be no more curse. The solution to this pillar, give God what belongs to him. Honor him. Worship him. Have an attitude of gratitude. You can't take it. I've never done a funeral where they're pulling up U-Hauls and bringing all their stuff. But I have done them when they're talking about their lives that they've given and the heart that was receptive to the tenderness of God and the people that they've helped. I've never been to 
into a funeral service where they're dragging U-Hauls full of houses and possessions and, and jewelry and all the stuff they've amassed. The golden age of, of, of God's love is here right now. It's what you choose to believe. It's what you choose to become. Honor the Lord. Worship him and watch him provide the miracle. Why should I do that? Because God says, I'll rebuke the devourer. That would be Satan for your sake. God holds Satan on a leash like a lion tamer holds the lion on a leash. Everything you've worked hard for, everything you've tried to obtain, when you start worshiping the Lord in this area, God says, I'll hold him back. Satan loves poverty, but God loves prosperity. Satan loves death. God is the author of life. Satan wants to rob, kill, and destroy, but God wants to give you health, strength, and prosperity. Can you see the difference? Satan brings sorrow. God brings joy unspeakable. Satan brings torment. Jesus Christ brings peace that only he can give. Satan is a roaring lion seeking who he may devour, but God says, I provide for you. I've covered you with my blood. I've sealed you with my grace. I provided for you streams in the desert. I'll make a way where there seems to be no way. Come on, somebody. Help me preach this word today. God is great. Build it on him, and he'll never let you down. God will never let you down. God controls the prince of darkness over our lives. Build that pillar and make it strong. I'm going to encourage you to do that because don't have the ways of this world that says, oh, the church just wants to get something from me. No, the church wants to get something to you. The church wants to get the blessing to you. Don't come in with an American dream mindset. The American dream is a ladder that leans on the wrong wall. The American dream will not bring you prosperity and will not bring you hope. Only the kingdom of God, only Jesus Christ, not a Republican, not a Democrat, not an independent party. Those cannot bring the answers. Only Christ and his kingdom can bring the answer. I'm just saying. There's another pillar that builds the house of wisdom. It's the pillar of happiness. That's so important because when we talk about this on holiday season, people think that you're talking about chance, happenstance. So when you talk about the word happiness, immediately because of our mindset, we start thinking about, well, I cannot be fully happy because this family member's not here and this situation I'm going through and this circumstance is not going my way. But that's not God's word of happiness. The English word happiness comes from the Anglo-Saxon word hap, where we get chance or happenstance. But God's word is makarios. It means to be blessed in every area of your life, regardless of what happens to you. That's why Solomon said in Proverbs 3.13, happy is the man or woman who finds wisdom. Are you happy right now? Have you lost your ability to laugh? Have you lost your ability to find joy in the midst of circumstances? Does your face look like you've been baptized in lemon juice? Eh. That's a bad advertisement for the kingdom of God. It was Jesus who gave us three cheers. Don't be the person that the bird outside your window is a buzzard. Don't be the person that if it ain't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Everything's wrong. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. They're posting stuff about me. I know they're not saying my name personally, but I can read between the lines. Christianity begins with angels singing around the throne in Bethlehem's manger. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Guess how it ends? 
It doesn't end in us little kumbaya saying, hold the fort, the church is going down. No, it ends with the church singing on the sea of glass, every tribe, every kindred, and every tongue, singing in victory and singing in triumph. The gospel began with a song, and it ends with a song. Yes, Christianity has discipline. Yes, we have trials. Yes, we have tribulations. But if we lose our joy, if we lose our happiness, we've lost our Christian identity. That's why the apostle Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You rejoice by choice, not because of, but in spite of. Don't matter what's going on. Don't matter what's going on with your children, your family, your health, your emotions. You are commanded by God. Rejoice by choice. It's a decision and you have to make it. But some people, you know, they just kind of look for happiness in different methods and ways. Some people look for happiness in a bottle. But Jose Cuervo is no friend of yours. Neither is Jack, last name Daniels. He's not your friend. Let me tell you, drugs will not bring you happiness. You'll chase a feeling that you'll never accomplish and you'll never catch. It will not bring you happiness. Finding pleasure in these things of this world will not bring you happiness. It's for a season, and it produces heartache over a lifetime. The Bible says the pleasures of sin for a season. It is the blast that doesn't last. It will not produce happiness. The only way to live a happy life is to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, to know your name's written down in the Lamb's book of life, that your sins are forgiven, your past is forgotten, you're on your way to heaven as a child of the King. This is the happiest place on the planet. It's the house of the living God. Let me move on with this other pillar because this one is so important, but some of you have never heard about this pillar, but Proverbs teaches it. It's the pillar of confidence. Solomon says in Proverbs 3.26, for the Lord will be your confidence. When you talk about confidence, immediately the mind goes to cockiness, pride. And that's not what we're teaching, but you are to have a God-given confidence. That means square up your shoulder, lift up your head, live, love, and be happy. Have confidence. You know, psychologists state this amazing statistic that the greatest emotional problems are people who lack in this area of self-confidence. They don't have confidence. It's astounding how few of us like ourselves. We don't like ourselves. We don't like the way we look, so we go to the doctor and ask him to change it. We don't like our hair, so you do stuff with it, and people like me put things on top of it. We're banning all toupees in the next church, I promise you. They are not allowed. But it's amazing how few people like themselves. It's amazing how pe people would rather be someone else and not who they really are. If you watch everything on social media, Instagram, or all these other social outlets, you will be a depressed person. I watch some of my pastor friends, and their life is so amazing. Their vocations are so astronomical. They're so, they're so anointed. And I think, oh, God, what's wrong with me? Why am I not as anointed as they are? Because we always are trying to be somebody else. So we choose role models that are on TV or, or movie screens or athletes, and we, we try to dress like them and talk like them and ask like them. Ask a beautician. One of the most difficult times that they have, it's when somebody comes into the beautician parlor with a picture of a movie star. They've got three strands of hair. They've got this luxurious picture that's airbrushed, and they say, make me look like her. I'm thinking, I'm mere flesh and blood. Not the creator of the universe. It's a horrible day for beauticians when they do that. 
And now we have a multi-billion dollar industry of plastic surgery. We get this thing tucked, this thing sucked. This thing bolds, this thing taken out. Plastic surgery is now one of the leading procedures in all of medical science and med medicine now. Why? Because people are not liking themselves. I saw a lady the other day, her facelift was so tight, she crossed her ankles and her mouth popped open. It's crazy. Then we go on crazy diets. We got the paleo diet, and now we've got the Atkins diet. And then I read recently about the garlic diet. You ever heard about the garlic diet? It, you don't lose any weight, but from a distance you look thinner. It's crazy. What's going on? And I've got a word from heaven for you this morning. Life is not fair. I thought you would hear it today from me so somebody else didn't tell you. Life is not fair. There's always going to be somebody better, somebody brighter, somebody who can sing better, not somebody who can preach better than me, but somebody who does it all better than you and somebody who's a better mom, a better dad, somebody who takes better photos, somebody who makes their life package just a little bit brighter, a little bit shinier, a little bit more anointed than you, their business is going further than yours. Their life is going greater than yours. But that's the reason the Bible says stop comparing yourselves among yourselves. Run your race. Nobody on the planet is like you. There's not a fingerprint like yours. There's not a life like yours. Stop comparing yourselves among yourselves. Enjoy the gifts God has given you. Use the gifts he's given you to glorify him. Don't worry about all the things you can't do and do what God's given you to do. Be faithful. Be useful. Be happy. Serve and serve now for the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I get a witness this morning? Here's a litmus test when people lack confidence. Here's what happens to them. Here's how you can always identify people when they lack self-confidence. They complain about everything and everyone because they have a defense mechanism. They don't want you to look inside their life, so they start pointing their fingers about what's going wrong, about everything and everyone. Friends, fault-finding is not a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's a demon spirit. And if you are looking for faults, faults are what you are finding. If you're looking for a perfect church, don't join it. You will ruin it. There's no perfect church. There's no perfect person. There's no perfect pastor. There's no perfect businessman or woman. There's no perfect mom or dad. But when we lack self-confidence, when we don't have that confidence in God, we start comparing and complaining. And it's a defense mechanism. We don't even intentionally do it. So we start examining other people's lives. But people with confidence, can I tell you how you know people that have confidence? It's not how they look on the outside. It's by what they say. It's by how they present themselves. It's they look for success. They look for the good things in people's lives. They look for the good things in their lives. They say things like, I know things are bad right now, but this is only a season, and it's a seasoning for my great future. I know it's going to get better because I got confidence in God. I got confidence in his word. I know he'll never fail me. I know he'll never leave me. He will never let me down. I got confidence in that God who says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you, even to the ends of the earth. Think about this, because when we lack this confidence, we don't have what God wants us to have. Reminds me of the story of the middle-aged man. He was on a cruise, 
And a lady just kept staring at him, staring at him. Finally, he caught eyes with her. So he walked over to her and said, ma'am, do I know you? She says, it's amazing to me how much you look like my third husband. He says, well, how many times have you been married? She said, twice. It's confidence. It's confidence. Do you know the word confidence has two Latin words? Let me teach this for a moment because it has two Latin words. One is con, meaning with, and one is fides, meaning faith. So when you have confidence, you are expressing your faith in God. When you have confidence, it simply means you are living with faith. Why? Because everything that God offers from heaven, we, talk, we sang that song, comes through the wings of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. The Bible says the faith is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. I've learned in my, in my life as a believer, faith will always start out before you ever know how it's going to turn out. Faith is the daring of the soul. It takes on buildings. It starts city centers. It starts outreach programs. Faith says we can move the mountain with God's help. Faith says my child is going to be okay because my God is with me. Faith says I know this disease looks like it's terminal, but it's only temporary because he is the great physician. Faith says I can see my family being restored and being health back unto me. Faith says I can see God making a way where there seems to be no way. I can't see it with my natural eye, but by faith I can see greater than my natural Natural eye can ever see. It's have faith in God. Have faith in his word. He will never let you down. Talk in faith. Speak in faith. Act in faith. God will never fail those who live in faith. Have confidence. I'm, that's just such good. I could just stop right there, but I'm not going to. Let's end with our last time. Thank you, Pat, for coming. Let's end with our last pillar. This is the pillar that I think is so needed in people's lives but it's so taken for granted and not applied to lives. It's grace. The Bible says something interesting about this pillar. Proverbs said, this is Solomon writing now. He said in Proverbs chapter 3, listen what he says. Wisdom will be grace to your neck. I immediately, when I read that, because grace is, has many definitions, but one of them is the unmerited favor of God. But it says an interesting take. Grace will be to their neck. It reminded me of Joseph in the Old Testament. Joseph, the Bible says, was put in chains when he was sent to prison over false accusations of Potiphar's wife. And for 12 years, he was locked up in the prison that Pharaoh had made for the prisoners of Egypt. And the scriptures say that Joseph had shackles around his neck and upon his hands and feet. But then there's an interesting passage that said, Joseph, I want to make sure I word this right so you can receive it. Joseph never forgot and that the scars always remained. In other words, when Joseph looked through the brass, because back then they didn't have mirrors, when Joseph looked at the reflection of the water, he saw those remnants of those scars of being shackled. He saw on his hands the shackles that Pharaoh's army had put upon him. Even though now he's in the palace, he never forgot the shackles. We know that because he named his son Manasseh and Ephraim. God has caused me to forget my pain of my past. 
What was Joseph doing? He was showing grace. He was putting it around his neck. That's what the wisest man on the planet said. That's what grace is to be. It's to be around your neck. You're to look into the mirror and you're to see the grace of God every single day. But what we happens with, we look into the mirror and if we're brought up in some religious organizations, we see what we're not. We see our faults. We see our failures. We don't see the grace of God. We don't see. I had a family years ago when I first started ministering. They were an older couple, and they came into my office, and they said, Joey, I, we're just so glad to be here, and every week your wife and you minister just such grace and such love. They said, but Joey, we've come from a very, very legalistic background of a church where they never discussed grace. They never talked about it. He's, he said with his wife, we have trouble receiving your message of grace. And it's because of what they were taught, that they could not look into the mirror and see the forgiveness of God because of all the false teaching, that they would die in their sin, and that they would, if they messed up and blown and God forbid Jesus come back, they wouldn't make it to heaven. They would split hell wide open. And some of you have been taught that, in which the backgrounds which you've come from, but that's not the grace of God. Grace is free or it's not grace at all. You have to realize that. God's grace is greater than all of your sins. It's greater than all of your failures. It's greater than all of your rejections. You have to put it around your neck and every time you look into the mirror, you have to receive the reflection of grace. You have to receive this free gift or it's not grace at all. But grace has to be accepted. It is not earned. And that's the problem with many people. They think they have to earn it and not freely accept it. God looks beyond the obvious faults of a person, waiting for the perfect will of God to manifest in their life. I call that grace because it's free or it's not grace at all. That's what God does. He looks beyond the faults of you and of me and he, he sees potential. And that's what we need to do as people that build the pillar right. We need to look beyond the faults of ourselves and of other people to see their God-given potential. I bring up Abraham in the Old Testament because many times we deify people when we read about them in the scripture that they were holy and they did everything right. But Abraham had a lying problem. He was riding cross country with his wife, Sarah, and he told Sarah, hey, when we get up there to where those guys are, he said, you tell them you're my sister. He put his wife in a tent with another man. I'm surprised Sarah didn't knock him right off his camel. Jennifer would have just knocked me off that camel. But God looked beyond Abraham's faults and saw his God-given potential. I think about that a lot because we see this man who's called the father of all who believe. He has this issue. Not only he has an issue with lying, but he's vulnerable by being manipulated by his wife. Don't raise your hand, men. I'm talking about Abraham. He's being manipulated. Abraham's wife, Sarah, she hadn't had a child and they were trying to rush the promise. And so she said, why don't you go into the tent of Hagar, the maidservant, and have a child with her? Do you know it was the fastest yes deer in human history? Abraham said, sounds like the will of God for me. Ishmael was born. Then Sarah got jealous and she sent Ishmael out with his mother, Hagar, into the wilderness. 
I don't know about y'all, but that was a heartless act. And it was the basis for the Arab and Israel dispute to this day. It's not a Palestinian dispute because there's no such thing as a Palestinian state. I don't care the lies you've been told. It's an Arab versus Israel dispute, and it started way back then with Abraham and Hagar and pushing her out, and it's still going on today. But the grace of God, it still looks beyond all of that and sees the potential in Abraham. And God says, Abraham, through your trials, he says, I want you to leave your home, leave your country, leave your father. He did it. He said, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your only son, Isaac, at Mount Moriah, and he was willing to do that. Abraham became the father of all. All who believe, a friend of God. God went down and had supper with him. Nobody bats in that league. Why? Because God looked beyond the man's faults and saw the God-given potential. So the question I ask to you today, are you willing to experience this pillar? Look beyond your faults and the faults of others and see their God-given potential. As a pastor, especially a, a one who ministers out of grace, I get attacked by religious entities all over this city. I can write a book. I fill up churches all over the city. People attack and say, you need to, you need to be more harder on people and don't excommunicate them. You need to excommunicate them out. But if we kicked everybody out of the church who did wrong, there'd be nobody here. You wouldn't be here, really you. And I wouldn't be here. We have to look beyond people's faults. The Bible says in Galatians 6:1, brethren, if a man is overtaken in a fault, that means a sin. We who are spiritual restore such one in a spirit of gentleness. That would be grace. Concerning yourself, lest you be tempted in the same manner of the sin. So are we willing to allow the grace of God to another person, waiting for the perfect will of God to manifest? I think it's important to build the pillar right, to build the house right, because you're going to live in this house. And when you give out grace, grace will come back to you. And when you receive God's grace, grace will come back to you. I believe when you give up what you think you deserve, God will give you more than you possibly dreamed or imagined.